This is Spin Control, a Fibercraft podcast by a joyful girl. Spin Control, episode 21, Hints, and I'm your host, Shiloh. Welcome back to all my returning listeners, and to those of you just joining us, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Alrighty, everybody, as I like to get every podcast started, we will kick this off with some updates. The first update really has a lot to do with the way this episode got its name. You might remember, if you are a regular listener, Way back when we started the second series, I mentioned having a secret. I felt that a big reveal was in order. That still holds true. And I'm going to tell you that secret, but not until next week. Ha ha. Anyway, before we close out this episode, I'm going to give you a hint or two to keep you hanging until next week. And hopefully inspire some guessing on what that big reveal may be. And give you the opportunity to maybe win a prize. I thought that would be a fantastic way to lead up to the big reveal. Anyhow, in other updates, I'm finally walking normally again, and I'm getting back to my normal routine pretty well. My wheel spinning is not totally up to par. I'm actually a little nervous about, you know, overstressing my ankle too soon, so I haven't really done anything with that. But other than that, I'm back in my own shoes and I'm getting around without any assistance and feeling pretty good. Also, I wanted to remind everybody who is in the St. Louis Metro East area that the Strange Folk Festival is coming up in just a couple weeks. That is the weekend of September 25th and 26th in O'Fallon, Illinois. Last week when I introduced the event, I misspoke and I believe I said it was in Collinsville, but I was wrong. It is in O'Fallon, Illinois. So I'll link to that again in the show notes, and hopefully I'll see some of you out there at the knit-in. It should be pretty awesome. Well, that's all I've got in updates and events, so I guess it's time to get this podcast started. This week in Spin a Tale, I am going to tell you all about my sewing crafting adventures with my girls that I had this past week. So last week when I recorded, I said I was getting ready to sew with my daughters, And I was a little nervous about how that would actually go. One, I've never tried to balance two sewing projects with two girls before and keep them both equally happy. They both want to do everything right now, and it's hard to get them to wait and work through steps when their sister is doing something that they are interested in doing, like sitting behind the sewing machine. But that all worked out perfectly, and my fears were put to rest, and everybody got along, and they had a fabulous time. So we pulled out my old brother's sewing machine, set it up at the kitchen table, got out a cutting mat, the rotary cutter, some good scissors, and all the supplies the girls would need. I also let them pick their own fabric. I think I've mentioned this in the past, but I'm kind of a selfish crafter, and letting the girls loose in my fabric stash to pick their own fabric, I was a little scared that they might pick, like, you know, my very favorite thing, and I would have to say yes and be the good mom, or know and be the bad mom, but they were both drawn to stuff that, you know, I could have gone either way on. So I felt pretty good about that. Everything got started fabulously. I'm glad they're very picky too. So I'm glad they were actually able to find fabric that made them both very extremely happy. So 
My oldest daughter wanted to sew a little tote bag for her little friend who was having a birthday. And she did. L simple little, probably a 10 by 10 square little tote bag with, and she wanted to have a pocket on the outside with a buttonhole and a button. Yay, fun. Anyhow, she picked this, I don't know, I'd picked up a remnant of this bright purple fabric with batiked peace signs on it. Not sure what I plan to do with it, but it worked out perfectly because there's something about 12 and 13 year old girls. They're all about the peace sign right now. So that worked out nicely. And her sister, I was not sure what itty bitty wanted to sew. And it turns out she wanted to make herself a doll, a rag doll to be precise. She knew exactly in her head what she wanted to make. And I was just kind of there to facilitate. Worked out nicely. The oldest daughter and I got everything cut out for her bag and I sat her behind the sewing machine so she could get started on doing some seaming and she wanted it to be lined and everything, like the whole nine yards. So we got her started on that and she sat behind the sewing machine and she was a little bit less confident than her sister, which I found a little surprising, but she got it done. And while she was doing that, Itty Bitty and I set out to design the shape of her doll, make a pattern, and then get it cut out. So Itty Bitty drew the general shape of the doll that she wanted. Mom recreated it on a clean sheet of paper, a little bit larger. We cut it out and then we cut her fabric on the fold. And then Itty Bitty proceeded to try to do everything in her very own order and it had to be done exactly the way she wanted it. So I supervised. She's very, very independent and very strong-willed. The first thing she absolutely had to do was sew on the eyes. She had to get button eyes and they absolutely could not be the same size. So she went and picked two buttons out of my button jar, both yellow, one large, one small, and sewed them on before we had sewed the two pieces together. I told her exactly where to place them so they wouldn't get in the way of seaming, which would be our next step. And one of the buttons was too high, but without complaint, she got the seam ripper, cut the fabric, pulled the eye off, and re-sewed that button on all by herself. Very happily. She had a really great time assembling this little guy. It was awesome. Both girls did really, really well. The oldest had a little problem making her own straps for the tote bag, so I had to help a little bit with that, but Itty Bitty wouldn't really let me help with anything. She did allow me to place the two ragdoll halves together and pin them in place so that she could seam them. When it was her time to sit down behind the sewing machine, she didn't want me to even touch it to help her. She's nine. I was so impressed with this kid's ability behind a sewing machine. She was able to use the foot pedal on a standard little like Joanne Fabrics brother sewing machine, use the foot pedal, keep it at a steady pace, and trace around this entire little doll. She sold every seam herself, except when it came to closing it after we stuffed it. But she seamed all the way around both arms, both legs, and the head with no help from me. And she didn't just make straight lines. She literally was able to turn uh, the pattern. What, what I ended up doing was just kind of making like a gingerbread cookie cutter shape, if that makes any sense. You know, with rounded legs and arms instead of elaborate feet or anything. But she was able to completely sew almost perfectly around those curves with no help from me. It was awesome. I barely supervised. I think I started dishes right in the middle of it because I kind of got bored because <laughs> she didn't need my help at all. It was fantastic. Both girls did a fantastic job. And then Itty Bitty sewed a mouth onto her rag doll. And I'm like, oh, why does your doll look so sad? And her response was, 
Mom, it's a rag doll. They're always sad. They're made of rags. Hello. And that's pretty much an exact imitation of the amount of attitude I was given with her explanation. But she was so pleased with her work, and I was so pleased with the experience. We'll definitely have to do some more sewing in the future. And that's all I've got in Spin a Tale. And now on to spinning my wheels. I have been crafting up a storm. Well, spinning's kind of been a minimal. I spent most of my time working on the Turkish spindle, and I spun, in two weeks, I spun about a total of an ounce of that unknown fiber that we talked about. I'm still desperately looking for the card because I'd really like to know what this fiber is. I have about three ounces left, and when I was drafting on the Turkish spindle, it was a little frustrating because I always like to pre-draft my fiber source a little bit just to get the fibers moving, but with this unknown fiber, even the smallest amount of pre-drafting made it completely bloom in my hands. So it didn't always cooperate staying in place and, you know, making for a neat and tidy drafting area, but it really made me excited because I think that it's going to be a fantastic fiber to do some long draw. And I think I I've only done like a modified long draw, and that was way back in the day when I had the fat fiber box. And I think that this will be my next experiment with a long draw or a supported long draw. And this fiber I think is going to be absolutely perfect. It's behaving as if that's exactly how it wants to be spun. And I'm really excited about that. I'm not going to talk too much more about that spinning because I'm going to talk about the Turkish spindle this week and put my spin on it. So we will move on to the next category. In knitting, I'd say we are status quo, but we're not. Oh, the Rock and Sock Club socks are coming along very, very nicely. I finished one repeat on the first sock leg, and next time I pick them up, I'll start the first repeat on the second sock, and it's definitely keeping my interest, and it's really fun to knit. It's easy to memorize, but there's enough activity in the 28-row stitch pattern that I'm totally engaged when I'm knitting it. It's to it's a lot of fun and I enjoy it. It's the kind of knitting I like to do, like I'll knit two or three rows in the morning with my first cup of coffee when no one else is awake. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. And I should have those done in no time because they're so interesting. Cobblestone is coming along, completely distracted, of course, by the Rock and Sock Club socks. And the only other thing I've done in knitting is I made a complete contribution to Christmas Conquest 2010. No, I haven't forgot about it. I still have that same goal. And what I did this last week was on Wednesday night, I started and finished an entire hat. Yes, a whole hat. Of course, I knit that hat out of uh, Rowan's Biggie print. Ugh, Rowan's Biggie print. Let me tell you about this ball of yarn that has been lingering in my stash for probably two years, maybe three years, or even four. I made the mistake of purchasing a sampler box from Webbs. Not that that whole experience was a waste, but there's definitely some stuff in there that if it wasn't for Christmas Conquest 2010, I'd never knit it. Oh my goodness. What does one do with one ball of super bulky wool yarn that's only 33 yards? I know it was nearly impossible to find a pattern, but basically what it worked out to be was just a plain stockinette hat. I cast on 24 stitches in the round on the smallest circular cable I could find, 
on size 15 needles and I knit in a circle till it measured six inches. I knit two together every five rows when I got to six inches. I knit two more rows and then there wasn't even enough yarn left to cast off. So I just drew it through the remaining stitches and pulled it tight. I did all that night and it made me super happy. I felt extremely accomplished to finish a project. I know it was the simplest project. I'm very chit chatty on knit night. I don't get much done, but to start and finish an entire hat, it felt awesome. Totally accomplished. I loved it. The hat is going to be the first addition to the Christmas Conquest box. So happy with that. That's all I've got in knitting, but I started a crochet project. Yes, I did. I was going to start the Grand Afghan, which is a Lion Brand pattern out of a Vanish Choice book, Leisure Arts something or other. I'll link to it in the show notes using Vanish Choice in three pretty colors that I like a lot. And I voted against it. It's basically this gigantic afghan that you crochet almost like a huge granny square, but with three strands held together. And I just was not feeling it working with that giant fat crochet hook. I knit probably three rounds and then totally ripped it back and started again. So what I ended up doing was a single color per round granny square. And right now it's about nine inches. So the other night I sat down, I started it and I finished a nine inch granny square. I'm debating right now on whether or not I want to make a whole ton of granny squares, like rotating the sequence of those three colors in each square and then piece them all together to make one afghan. Or if I just want to keep going, making that one granny square larger and larger, changing colors every row. So that's kind of where I sit. I really like the way it looks right now. I have never done an afghan that's all granny squares pieced together. I really like the look, but um, I kind of wanted to do that for more of like a scrap blanket, I think, than one that's this organized. So I might just make the giant granny square and call it a day. So that's what's been going on in my crafting life. Those wheels have definitely been turning. The only sewing I got accomplished was what I did with the girls, but I feel really productive and totally happy with the things I've got going on. This week, I'm all spun up about a food product. That's pretty rare with me, but it does happen maybe two or three times since I started the podcast. And this week, it is surprisingly wasabi and soy sauce flavored almonds. I love almonds. I enjoy soy sauce on rice, but I hate wasabi. I absolutely hate it. I like spicy food, but wasabi feels to me like a chemical burn, not like a jalapeno spicy. There's just something about it that drives me crazy and I don't like it. So I was sitting at a little division meeting in my new office and one of the guys was sitting across from me and he places a little jar of almonds down in the middle of the table and he offers me one and I take it and I pop it in my mouth and I start chewing and nearly die because of the wasabi. I was totally not expecting it. I didn't see the label. I just knew it was almonds because I could see them. But all throughout the meeting, I kept eating more and more and more and more of these wasabi and soy sauce almonds. They're so good. They're diamond almonds. They were so delicious. I have no idea how they managed to get me to enjoy the flavor of wasabi. I don't know. Maybe it was the almonds as a conduit to get to the wasabi that made all the difference, but they were delicious and I would actually buy them and eat them. And so far to date, that is the only way I've ever eaten wasabi and enjoyed it. So that's what's got me all spun up this week. 
This week, I'm going to put my spin on the Jenkins Turkish Spindle. Now, as I told you, my wonderful knit girl Erin from Knit Night loaned me her little Turkish Spindle. The spindle I used was 0.8 ounces, and it was beautiful. I have absolutely no idea what kind of wood it was carved out of. But the Jenkins Woodworking Company individually crafts tons of spindles. They have three types of Turkish spindles. They have the standard Turkish spindle, they have the Turkish Delight, and they have a Turkish Lark spindle. And each of them gets their name because of some of their features. The standard came first, and period, like they don't have a very regular stock because one guy pretty much makes all the spindles and all of their other products. They have other woodworked products, but I don't really know what they are off the top of my head because I was just focusing on the Turkish spindle. So most recently, they sold or listed standard Turkish spindles in like a million different kinds of wood, not a million. They had some Asian satin wood, big leaf maple, Burmese blackwood, canary, ebony, pheasant wood. They have all of these different, I don't know if he just kind of goes with what he's in the mood for or what customers request, but they really, they do have a list of regular woods that they work with on the site, but they're not always listed. On September 7th, he posted like 10 Turkish spindles. By the time I had looked them up on the 9th, all but three of them were sold. And they vary in weight, and I'm pretty sure that they vary in weight based on the wood that he uses. For example, the standard Turkish spindles vary in weight from about one ounce to about two ounces, and I'm pretty sure they're all the same dimensions, and it's just the different woods that he uses that make them vary in weight. Now it appears that the Turkish Delight is a smaller, more portable spindle that a customer, a faithful customer, requested that Ed Jenkins produce. So he came up with the Turkish Delight, and those vary in weight from about three quarter, no, just over half an ounce to about one and a half ounces, depending on the wood. And they have so many different kinds of beautiful wood that he works with, it's unbelievable. Now the Turkish Lark Spindle is, what does he call, how does he describe this? The Turkish Lark Spindle has thinner, more slender arms, and they're tooled differently so that they spin fast and smooth, and it says that they're best suited for fine lace or light sock weight yarns. They're very light, even though they're a little bit larger. You can pack on like a serious amount of spun fiber on them. They're like a larger spindle than the Turkish Delight. Now those vary in weight from about half an ounce to it looks like just under an ounce, like 0.81 ounces, varying of course based on the wood. Now when I was asking my knit girl, Erin, what kind of spindle it was, she told me and there's like no way I'd remember that, right? But she said, Google Turkish spindle. They'll be the first one listed. And they absolutely were. Now, both Erin and another one of my knit girls, Heather, love these spindles. They each have purchased more than one from the same company. They're very well balanced, very well crafted, beautiful work, absolutely beautiful work. And I can see why they've fallen in love with them. Each one is handcrafted. Each one he takes excellent care into ensuring the best quality product is out there. They're beautiful, they work super well, and I can see why they keep going back over and over again to purchase new ones. I was super pleased with my experience, and I'm pretty sure 
a Jenkins Turkish spindle will be on my Christmas list this year. From what I understand, the company's customer service is also extremely outstanding. If you are interested in purchasing something from them that they don't have in stock, and if you email them, he will put it on his spindles to make list and get it done for you. They don't necessarily have all their finished spindles listed. I don't know how often they list them, but you can contact the company and say, hey, I'm interested in a Turkish Delight spindle in Rosewood. How soon do you think it will be before one's available? And if they've already got one done, they'll sell it to you on the spot. They won't make you wait until it's listed on the site. I know that that is one of the things that Erin did, and they've offered her fantastic customer service through every experience she's had with the company. So I would say that the Jenkins Woodworking Turkish Spindle is definitely something to consider putting your money toward. It appears that the spindles vary in cost from about $40, $40 to about $50, depending on the wood and the type. So if you get the opportunity and you're at all interested in the Jenkins Spindle, check them out. I will link to them in the show notes, or you can do as I did and just Google Turkish Spindle and it'll be the first listing. All right, it looks like it is that time again. It is time to spin off this episode, but not without giving you the hints for the big reveal. Okay, next week's big reveal will be a complete description of what I do for a living. We all know that I work in public relations, but I've been a little bit shrouded when it comes to talking about where I work or the company I work for. So that is the big reveal. I'm gonna give you hints so that you can guess where I work who I work for. So we're going to start off with footwear. I know, crazy, right? What the heck does that have to do with where I work? You'll understand once the big reveal is here. But in the meantime, I'm going to say that I wear the exact same outfit to work every single day from head to toe. And the footwear that I wear to work actually prevented me from completely breaking my ankle when I was at that conference in Texas. It saved me a great deal of pain and torture. So that is all I have to say about footwear. For the second hint, the company that I work for is celebrating their 63rd year of existence on September 18th. And that is why I have planned the big reveal for this coming week. Because my company is celebrating its 63rd birthday and it's usually pretty exciting. So if you have any Google skills or you can guess what type of footwear I wear every day to work, you should have no problems guessing what I actually do for a living and who I work for. So I'm gonna start a thread over on the Ravelry board and the first person to come the closest to guessing what I do for a living and where I work will get their choice from three perfect fat quarter bags. I'll post photos of those bags, the three choice bags as soon as I get the opportunity to take them. All right, and that's what I've gotten hints for this week. So tune in next week for the big reveal. But in the meantime, it's time to really spin off. I have not pre-picked a song of the week, so I guess we're going to have to be a little surprised at what comes out. As always, you can check the show notes at spincontrolpodcast.com, email me at ajoyfulgirlknits at gmail.com, catch me on Ravelry as a Joyful Girl, or follow me on Twitter as a Joyful Girl Maid. Thanks again, guys. Talk to you soon. i
Loving you. 